0: I believe that one of the things that sexual abuse does is it robs you of your identity it confuses you as to who you are and who God is and I think that's one of the ultimate goals to not know who God is as a healer as a father as a friend as an advocate as a helper I really had no idea who God was I knew he existed and I knew He knew all things, but I didn't know if He would receive me if He knew the whole story.
1: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, if you really knew me, you might not like me. Or maybe you even said that to yourself. There can be much fear in being truly known. Will I still be loved despite my mistakes, despite my desperate thoughts, despite that I might not ever be enough on my own? The resounding answer to those questions from God's perspective is yes. God promises to love us with an everlasting love and is continually drawing us to Himself with loving kindness, as we're told in the Scripture, Jeremiah 31.3. Our guests this week hit lows in their lives they didn't know if they'd recover from, and just when they'd lost hope, they turned to God, only to find that He was there, loving them despite their mistakes, fear, and pain. We're speaking with television personality, Rosie Rivera, the CEO of Jenny Rivera Enterprises and firefighter turned evangelist, Jason Sautel. We'll begin with Rosie's story.
0: Hello, my name is Rosie Rivera Flores, and I am a jack of all trades. Really, really, I see myself as a child of God. And my purpose is to be a voice for the voiceless, meaning I am a sexual assault advocate. And I do that through preaching, through teaching the Word of God, but also anywhere, really, anyone that I speak to, that I can just draw them closer to Jesus. I had the best childhood. I mean, we had financial difficulties. There was some poverty. My father picked fruit in the fields. And for a long time, we worked at flea markets. But I didn't even realize we lived in poverty. There was so much love. Because I'm the youngest, uh, people would say I'm spoiled. I would say I am extra loved. And I was a very happy kid until sexual abuse started in my life around eight years old. The abuser was my sister's first husband, and in my family, it's not just an in-law, it's family. And I saw him as a type of brother slash uncle that I had to respect, and that was an adult that I trusted and had to obey. So when he told me that we were playing a love game, I knew love, but I didn't know this new game. and. A year later, when I found out that it was sexual abuse, I was actually in my sex ed class in fifth grade. It shocked me. I didn't even know what was going on for about a year. When he tried to sexually abuse me again, I finally said no, and then he threatened to kill my sister. He knew my weakness. He knew that she was my everything. She was my best friend, my mentor. And he took away my voice. I didn't know that then, but I know it now how much I changed. I, I became very quiet, isolated, confused, angry, and I took this all on my own. I thought I had to save my sister's life and I had to save everyone else's heart from being so hurt. So by the time I was 13, when I found out he was doing it to my niece, she confessed to me. She kind of saw it in me, my hatred towards him, that I thought I was hiding very well. And we promised we'd never say anything. We didn't want my brothers to kill him. And I finally spoke up at 16. My parents still had no idea. They just saw me as a rebellious girl, an angry girl, a regular teenager. And when I finally spoke up, I thanked Jesus that my sister believed me immediately. My family believed me. We made a police report and began the process of healing. They did everything they could to heal me with counseling, with a psychologist, and with just being on my side. He became a fugitive for nine years, and I got lost in depression, in drugs and alcohol, just trying to numb the pain that I still didn't understand. I grew up in church, thank God. (laughs) My mother received Christ when I was nine years old. We were a Catholic family, but didn't really practice. It was more tradition. And my mother's transformation transformed the whole family. We started to attend church, and I really loved it at first. I loved the music. I loved the preaching. I've always been drawn to the Word of God. But by 13, when my niece told me that she was being sexually abused also, my self-hate really grew. I really, really loathed myself, and I thought everyone else would too if they really, really knew me. And that somehow transferred into... God. I knew he existed and I knew he knew all things, but I didn't know if he would receive me if he knew the whole story. So I thought if I don't tell him, then he won't know. And if he doesn't know, then maybe he won't reject me. My biggest fear in the whole world was to be rejected because I rejected myself and I just kind of stayed away from him. That way he can't reject you. And in my mind, if I rejected God first, he wouldn't have the time to reject me. I, I don't think I could handle it if my creator would reject me. I really, really thought that if God knew all the dirt that I had inside me from the sexual abuse, and then as I grew older, I had an abortion at 16, and all the drinking and the promiscuity, and I thought, just don't let him know who you are. And then at 25, I was suicidal for the third time in my life. I had tried two times before and thankfully wasn't able to complete it. And at 25, I was in a a very dysfunctional, abusive relationship. It was physically, emotionally, psychologically abusive. And he raped me and threw me out of the hotel room at two in the morning in nothing but a t-shirt. And I went to the front desk and the man thought I was a prostitute. And it just, I hit the lowest low. My father used to tell me I was a princess. My father used to tell me that I could achieve anything in the world, that if I wanted to be an astronaut, I could. And here I was at 25, a single mother, with a man that would abuse me and then literally throw me out. So I went to the front desk and when he called me a prostitute, I believed him. I took that label and I put it on my forehead as if it were true for no reason other than some stranger thought it. And I wanted to commit suicide and I tried. And I took a lot of pills and a lot of alcohol and I started walking down the streets of Los Angeles And my brothers started looking for me. I didn't know they even cared. I thought they're too busy. They're making money. They're famous. And I thought they'll probably miss me, but maybe the world would be better without me. I had a two-year-old daughter uh, and I thought she'll be better without me too. I really thought I was just toxic and would ruin everything that I touched. And that wasn't true. They were looking for me. There was a whole search party at two in the morning looking for me. And when they found me, they were shocked. I was in shock. I couldn't speak. I was freezing. And the first thing my brother Juan told me was, please don't ever do this again. I love you so much. And I don't want anything to ever, you know, I don't want to lose you. That night, I called my mom and I said, hey, mom, what time does church start tomorrow? And she said, at 1 p.m., why are you asking? And I said, I want to go. And she said, don't play with me, because if I'm late for choir, they won't let me sing. They, they didn't care that she was the pastor's mom. She had been inviting me every single day, every single Sunday. She had invited me to church since I was about 16. And I would say, whatever. I don't like your church. I don't like your people. They're all hypocrites to me. They're all liars. And... That day was the first day that I had invited myself and I made sure to go and that Sunday was the greatest day of my life simply because I was a mess (laughs) and I told God I was a mess. I was still hungover. I still smelled like alcohol and everything and I was just at the front of the altar crying my eyes out, letting Jesus know everything that He already knew but that I didn't want to live anymore without him. And that day I just realized what the cross was. Like it just hit me in such a beautiful way that he had died for me. Really, really for me. And that he already knew everything and that he loved me. And it it can still fill me with love and his mercy and his grace are just the treasures of my life. And... Since that day, I decided I'm not leaving you, no matter what. And that was about 14 years ago. And I I just thank him for loving me, despite it all. I wanted to preach the word of God. And I wanted my sister to do it with me. So her and I would talk randomly. And I'd dream with her and she'd hear me out. And I'd say, hey, sister, one day you and I are going to preach the word of God together. And I'm going to preach and you're going to sing. And then maybe, hey, I'll even try singing and you preach. And I honestly didn't think I could do it without her. I wasn't famous. I didn't know how millions of people would know I existed, much less care about who I was. So I thought only with my sister will they care who I was. But when my sister started finding fame... She shared it with us in a beautiful way. She was so giving with the spotlight. She thought we were all superstars. She's so beautiful. I I speak in the present of her because she has reconciled with Christ a week before she died. And so I know that because Christ resurrected and we will resurrect and I'll see her again. But she shared it with us. She never stopped telling me she loved me. She took that prophet's word for truth and, and every single day would tell me she loved me. And her fame spread out to everyone. And the day that she died, my whole world changed. All my life, I I could no longer hold a nine to five because it would draw too much attention. And I had to be her CEO, her trustee, the guardian of her children. Literally, my house was swamped with paparazzi and media wanting to know why Jenny chose me, the youngest, not artist, woman that had not studied business of the family. Why would she choose me out of all the wonderful, strong, intelligent, business-oriented men? And I I didn't have the answer. I didn't know because to be honest with you, I didn't want it. I received it because I loved her and I received the assignment from Christ, but I did not want to be famous. And I still do not want to be famous. I want Christ to be famous. I want Him to be famous for what He does in me. And so if, if people know my name, I, I let them know my story because it's a way of knowing Christ. But it's been a difficult journey for me to let people see the worst side of you. They met me when I was broken, broken because of my sister's death, broken in my marriage, just in in the most naive time of my life, in my new calling. And I was angry. I was angry that she had died, and I was angry that my privacy was taken away. I was shaken to the core because the plan that I had made couldn't work anymore. I still miss her, and I think I always will. But I didn't die without her. I thought I would. I thought I would go back to drugs and alcohol. I told her I would. she ever died, I told her I'd go crazy. And I didn't. I stand by the grace of Christ. I smile when I, I have a reason to smile. He is still my joy. And I know now more than ever, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because I have found to be content in every area of my life at every time of my life. Jesus Calling was a book where I really, really got to know Christ as my the lover of my soul. And that's how I can describe it. I remember reading my devotional for the day and really allowing the words to sink in. And that was the challenge for me personally, to believe, to really continue to believe the word of God was for me. When he says, um, you know, child of God, masterpiece, uh, fearfully and wonderfully made, I could no longer believe that. But books like Jesus Calling, I would just let them sink in. And I really, really felt and know that Christ was talking to me. It was really me. And that's what I love about Jesus Calling. When he says, my child, my daughter, oh, I'm just like, yep, that's me. I treasure my book. And as my children grow, I want to read it to them. Jesus Calling, January 18th. I am leading you along the high road, but there are descents as well as ascents. In the distance, you see snow-covered peaks glistening in brilliant sunlight. Your longing to reach those peaks is good, but you must not take shortcuts. Your assignment is to follow me, allowing me to direct your path. Let the heights beckon you onward, but stay close to me. Learn to trust me when things go wrong. Disruptions to your routine highlight your dependence on me. Trusting acceptance of trials brings blessings that far outweigh them all. Walk hand in hand with me through this day. I have lovingly planned every inch of the way. Trust does not falter when the path becomes rocky and steep. Breathe deep draughts of my presence and hold tightly to my hand. Together we can make it. I have just had the best, most intimate, even joyful moments with Christ. And I have learned how to allow God to be my defender. And now I have this joy in my heart. and. It's going to sound a little funny, but when someone makes fun of me because I have wrinkles or my age is showing, I will laugh and I will say, Lord, how are you going to defend me? I am waiting. And sure enough, he'll send me the best creams through mail and and just this joy in my heart knowing he's going to speak for me. I don't have to make anyone else feel bad or let them know how old they're getting or that I'll see you soon. You'll be here soon. I have, I just have to continue loving him and that's it. And loving people. I'm just so happy to be able to really share a message full of the message because the power comes with his word. I I can trust that no matter what is going on with the world, as long as I am holding his hand, I am safe and I am on the right path. And it reminds me that in the highs and the lows, he's the same. And in the happiness or even some sad moments, he's the same. And I just, I love him that he always takes me back. (laughs) If I have let go of his hand, I can come right back. And he's always been so ready to say, let's keep walking.
1: To learn more about Rosie and her work, visit rosierivera.com. And you can find her book, God is Your Defender, Learning to Stand After Life Has Knocked You Down, everywhere books are sold. We'll continue with former firefighter, now pastor, Jason Sattel's story after this brief message.
2: In the days that are dark, where the news isn't good, when we're looking desperately for answers, or just looking to be heard, we just want someone to listen someone to hear our fervent prayers. More than ever, people need help. More than ever, people need hope. And more than ever, people need to know that they are heard.
0: Jesus Listens is a 365-day prayer devotional with short, heartfelt prayers based on scripture, written to deepen your relationship with God Learn more about Jesus Listens and download a free sample at jesuscalling.com slash jesuslistens.
1: The team at Jesus Calling has chosen 100 Jesus Calling devotions that have been specially selected for those heroes in our midst. There are hardcover editions of these 100 devotions for medical professionals, firefighters, law enforcement, and the armed forces. Find these Jesus Calling for First Responders editions exclusively at ChristianBook.com. Our next guest is firefighter-turned-evangelist Jason Sautel. After a difficult childhood and a 22-year career fighting fires, and arriving first on the scenes of many people's worst nightmares, Jason was used to darkness finding its way into his soul. He tried earthly remedies, but never felt fully whole until he turned to the one who would rescue him—the way he rescued others, Jesus.
2: Hi, my name is Jason Sautel, and I'm the author of the book *The Rescuer*. And prior to being an author, I worked for the fire department for 22 years. I finished my career in Oakland, California, which was actually the most memorable time of my career just because of how busy of a city it was, how many emergencies we went out to every single day, and just being able to help people was such a blessing. Since then, I have been writing, talking, and teaching all things Jesus, and I just love writing and connecting with people. My parents divorced when I was around seven or eight years old and my mom moved 500 miles away and I stayed with my dad. And unfortunately, my dad had a rough time of his own. He was a Vietnam veteran. And I think the war and his childhood and the traumas that he had in the past had never really cleared up. But he struggled being a father. And those struggles came down upon me in ways where I was basically raised up in a home where I didn't have the stuff that other kids had. I didn't have any support for school. And quite honestly, if I was to ask my dad for help, it would never really end well for me. So it was easier for me just to shut down and live within myself as opposed to asking for help. I was a leg hugger, meaning when uh, other kids were out running and playing, I would just want to huddle to my mom's leg, and she was kind of like my everything. Well, the first day of kindergarten, she dropped me off. And I started to pick up really quick. I'm like, oh, wait a second, she's gonna leave. And I was not okay with that. So when my security blanket, if you will, left, I started panicking. I started getting upset and I started crying. Well, rightfully so, the teacher escorted me to the office. And when I got to the office, my mom wasn't there and things got even worse. And all I wanted to do was see my mom. And I was crying and I started acting out more and more. Well, instead of calming me down and relaxing me, they actually threw me in a janitor's closet. I remember they cleaned it out, threw me in there, and they were outside the door and I were pounding on the door saying, let me out. But they wouldn't unless I calmed down. And I calmed down and got quiet, not because I wanted to be good and their punishment was working. I just felt all of a sudden an emptiness and a darkness and a true sadness come over me as I was sitting there in that dark closet when I was in kindergarten. And I wanted out, and that's kind of when I first started feeling the darkness, the evilness, and the sadness of this world. When I was a teenager, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade because, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't have any support. And finally, as a 15 or 16-year-old, I just said, enough. Well, I wasn't doing bad things, but I started to realize I was going down a wrong road. So I looked into this thing called the California Conservation Corps, where basically you get to, to make trails in national parks and even pick up garbage on the side of the freeways. But it was like you're working with a team of people. Well, while I was there working with the Conservation Corps, we were at a fire because there's a fire going on, and our job was to feed the firefighters in fire camp. So when we were in fire camp, a firefighter comes over and talks to me. I start thinking, "Wow, that's really cool that you guys do. You help people, save lives, fight fire." Plus, the adrenaline rush of the job sounded really cool. And I, I, I sat there and kept thinking about it, thinking about it, and something in me kept saying, "Man, that'd be so cool to actually help other people and have that job." So I went and applied for the California Department of Forestry, and I got the job. And I went back and I got my GED, which was required for the job. So that's how I became a firefighter at the age of. 18 to try to make the darkness go away I would always rely on what people told me obviously not having any Christian friends mentorship I would listen to the wisdom of this world and people would say especially once I start getting older hey Go out and skateboard with your buddies. You'll feel better. Come hang out with us. You know, maybe uh, at a younger age, drink and and party. Well, I would try that, but honestly, I never felt right. It's not like I got into partying. I was like, hey, this is great. It's a good time. So I would show up and hang out with the older kids, but what they were doing just never felt good to me. So I wouldn't do it. Then when I got older and I became a firefighter, I started listening again, like, hey, buy a house, get a boat, get a truck, go down to Cabo with all the firefighters on a trip, live the way that a young man should live. And I tried. And every time I threw any of that stuff into the emptiness inside of me, it would actually eat it up, spit it out, and I'd feel worse. So I kind of describe it as a black hole inside of me that no matter what goodness of this world I tried to throw into it, it would not seal it up and it would actually make things worse so being a firefighter that was called to help other people but had no idea how to rescue himself it it was really challenging especially at that point in my life being a, a young man so one of the calls that i remember about that really started the process of me looking for some truth was when we were on the bay bridge we got called to the scene of a suicidal jumper who was just at the end of his rope well, as the firefighter and the paramedic, it was my job to talk to him and try to give him the help that he needs to come back over to our side so we can get him to the hospital and treat him. And I was having a connection with him. But as I was speaking with him, I looked into his eyes and I could just see an emptiness. And it wasn't as if that poor man was evil. But as we know, this fallen world's a mess. And looking back on it now, I could see that he was empty as I was at the time. And I could see the emptiness in his eyes. And it was almost like there was an evilness that was eating that emptiness up. And it was making him want to jump. Well, right as I figured I had the guy was going to, in a way that he would come back over the rail and we could walk over to the ambulance, he snapped up. And he looked at me with that emptiness in his eyes and he stepped back and he took that eternal plunge and I watched him fall to his death. As he was falling, what I saw in his eyes was the same thing I saw in my own eyes when I'd look in the mirror because I felt so empty and I could start to actually like see the emptiness and it scared me to death. You get back on that fire truck. And that scene is still inside you. You get back to the firehouse, it's still inside you. When you leave the firehouse after your 24 or 48-hour shift, and you go home and you walk through the door, and people say, Daddy's home or Mommy's home, guess what? That scene is still with you, and it sticks with you. So when I finally kind of hit the snapping point of I'm done, I can't handle this because my whole life I've been told, Jason, you can do whatever you want to do. You can become whatever you want to be. Well, I wanted every person I encountered at a fire, I wanted to rescue them. Every person who their life was ending, I wanted to save them. But guess what? I couldn't. So I felt like a huge failure. What a lot of people don't understand about our first responders on all levels is they're human beings. Now, I'm speaking just from a firefighter standpoint. Our job is to show up, not judge, and make it better. That's it. If a house is on fire, let's put it out. If there's people trapped, let's rescue them. If there's someone on the brink of death, let's use all of our medical skills to save them. So when people see us responding to that incident or we're there, all they see is a big red fire truck like a chariot. And then when we hop off in all that gear, all they see is like knights in shining armor and heroes. Well, at the end of the day, all that that is on that fire truck and under on all that gear and behind that badge is a human being who just wants to help other people. And when you're on scene of a rough call or a rough incident, a piece of it attaches itself to you. Even if it's good or if it's bad, it attaches itself to you. Meaning if you're at a fire, you absorb the chemicals, you absorb the bad stuff. And that's physically bad. But even worse is when you're on the scene of a horrible medical call or an assault, and you're watching someone take their final breath as their eternity is being locked in. But you're the one who has to try to save their life. And meanwhile, family members are screaming, save them, save them. And there's nothing you can do. And it was horrible. After a series of a bunch of rough calls, I started to get really down. I finally had all those stressors that were just taking me down and I realized, Hey, I need a place to leave this. I don't know what it is. And I noticed people were going to church and they were happy. So outside of my little house, I would watch people walk to this little church down the street for me and they were happy. And one night I was just struggling with all the traumas of my past. I said, I want to go to church. I don't know where it came from. And so when I got to that church, And I was ready to walk in, there were these greeters and these two greeters stopped being greeters and became bouncers and immediately said, you can't come in here dressed like this. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm wearing a nice clean shirt, I have on my best pair of shorts and vans, and I can't come in. They said, you're not dressed properly to come to church. And all of a sudden, all the sadness of my childhood of not being welcome to places and people turning me away and having nowhere to go came back and I had a lump in my throat. But what crushed me was at that moment, I was thinking in my mind, I pull people out of burning buildings. I do CPR on people, I do mouth to mouth on children, but I'm not good enough to come into your church because of the way I'm dressed. And I was like, fine. I walked away and I had tears in my eyes. And shortly thereafter, I actually started coming up with a plan to end my life and actually leave all the pain behind me. And it was one of the worst days of my life, but it was also a huge turning point. Now. Things in my life started to change. I couldn't explain why, but I started looking at things different. When we would go on a rough call, I would look at it like, I don't want to end up alone. And I started recognizing grace, even though I didn't realize what it was at the time, in the form of people being nice to me when I didn't deserve it. The beauty of putting my faith in Jesus and becoming a Christian was things did not get like better. It's not like all of a sudden all the badness went away. I was still responding to emergencies. I was still seeing the worst of the worst, but I had clarity where prior to being a Christian, I didn't know what sin was. I didn't know about the fallen world. I didn't know about brokenness. So after I put my faith in Jesus, The clarity that I got of, wait, this is fallen people doing bad things. And now I kind of get it. And I then had a place to now leave the pain from those scenes. Meaning if I was on a really rough call, I could then read my Bible. I could pray. I could recite scripture. And I had the body of Christ of other Christians around me to help me work my way through it. You know, I knew about Jesus calling a few years ago, first just walking through a bookstore, because I'll be honest with you, I've never been a big reader. But when I saw, you know, Jesus, calling, I was like, wow, <laughs> Jesus had been calling me for many, many years before I finally answered. And yeah, I actually did grab a copy and it was just beautifully, beautifully written because I could see the scripture pouring out of it and the messages coming out of it i just love looking at sarah's writing because like i say i don't stop at the person i look through the message and and i absolutely adore her messages all the way through and this one really resonated with me so here we go jesus calling december 3rd do not be surprised by the fiery attacks on your mind when you struggle to find me and to live in my peace don't let discouragement set in you are engaged in massive warfare spiritually speaking The evil one abhors your closeness to me, and his demonic underlings are determined to destroy our intimacy. When you find yourself in the thick of the battle, call upon my name. Jesus, help me. At that instant, the battle becomes mine. Your role is simply to trust me as I fight for you. My name properly used has unlimited power to bless and protect At the end of time, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth when my name is proclaimed. People who have used Jesus as a shoddy swear word will fall down in terror on that awesome day. But all those who have drawn near me through trustingly uttering my name will be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. This is your great hope as you await my return. This passage resonates with me on so many levels. First off, Jesus is just reiterating the power in the gospel message. He's reminding us that he can fight what we can't. And he is also reminding us that he's won the battle. And I absolutely love that because that is where strength lies because we're so weak, on the perfect name of Jesus, and in the gospel message, that is where everything is. You know, I'm just praying for people to draw closer to God, and I'm praying for people to put their faith in Jesus. And for those who have, I'm praying that they will reflect on what their faith truly means, because I have learned. Over the many years of responding to the bad stuff of this world, I can't fix anything, nor can time. Time alone heals nothing. Time with Jesus heals everything.
1: To learn more about Jason, visit jasonsatel.wordpress.com. And be sure to find his book, The Rescuer, wherever books are sold. If you'd like to hear more stories about God's relentless love, check out our interview with the women of the Next Door organization. Next time on The Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with minister, worship artist, and justice advocate C.C. Jones-Davis, who shares how she found her way to helping others through ministry and justice advocacy.
0: I realized that I had to start praying a little bit differently. And I had to start saying, God, I'm willing. Do what it is you want me to do, even if what you want me to do scares me.
1: Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Jesus Calling Book, on Facebook, and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.